Today we are going to bring you some history about Tottenham Hotspur. James and I are going to give our lineup predictions for the match on Sunday, talk about key matchups and tactics on the pitch, and then finish it off with our scoreline predictions. This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. Welcome to our preview of Everton's Sunday matchup against Tottenham Hotspur. The first thing we want to do is talk about a little bit of the history behind Tottenham Hotspur, how they came to be where they are. Founded in 1882. The name is something that's that was kind of interesting, and I and I looked up because it's a bizarre name. They're actually named after a guy named Sir Harry Hotspur, who was a character in one of Shakespeare's plays. He was a real guy, but was featured in one of Shakespeare's plays. So the team came, the Hotspur part came from him. They adopted that. He was a soldier. So, you know, the whole warrior thing, yada, yada, yada. And then Tottenham, obviously, being the area the club was located in. So I thought that was kind of interesting because it is one of the more unconventional names that you see. And there are some, there are a lot of unconventional soccer club names in England, but that's definitely one of them and one of the most well-known clubs as well. Yeah, it was really cool to see that. It's even more interesting to see that it started off as Hotspur Cricket Club and that formed Hotspur FC. Yeah, because the the club was originally a cricket club. They needed something to play in the winter and the off season, which is something that led to a lot of you know clubs in England ad- adopting football, soccer as a sport. Um, so yeah, they transitioned the name, and and they have had historically quite a bit of success. They were the first British club to win a major European trophy. They won the European Cup Winners' Cup in 1963, and then they were also the first team to ever win the UEFA Cup in 1971. So a real precedent, you know, a lot of history, a lot of victorious history for for Tottenham. That actually surprised me to see, call me ignorant, but I had no idea that Tottenham had that sort of influence early on because we're kind of used to, in recent times, at least specifically since I've started following Everton, Tottenham was somewhat near Everton in the table. And then in recent years, since they signed Pochettino from Southampton, and they got that real chemistry in the squad with all of their players sticking around for the long term, and they've kind of ascended up to up into the table, and you can pretty much expect them to be top four nowadays. Yeah, and they're also the third most successful team of all time in the FA Cup behind Manchester United and Arsenal. They've won it eight times and been in the final nine times, so very historically relevant club alongside Everton one of and we do not have the greatest record against them it's 55 wins 54 draws and 66 losses all time so not too bad but below 500 so you know hopefully we can make that just the slightest bit better on Sunday right and our last win against Tottenham came on December 9th 2012 which is pretty horrid to see right 6 years ago but as an american fan and he is one of my favorites. Clint Dempsey scored in that match for Tottenham, which was really cool to see. James, if I haven't told you before, Clint Dempsey was one of my favorite or was my favorite U.S. player. I'm actually a Seattle fan. I went to a Seattle match when they came to D.C. Naturally, he was with the national team, so I didn't get to see him play. And then he retired in the middle of the season, and it seems like it was never meant to be. Yeah, it's a sad story, but obviously one of the most prolific and great players in U.S. national team history and did have that that stint with Fulham as well as Tottenham. So yeah, that game was wild because he scored in the 76th minute. And then another player, Gilfie Sigurdsson, 
hit the crossbar shortly after that. And then Steven Pinar scored in stoppage time to to draw level. And then Nikita Jelovic scored after that at the death for an amazing 2-1 comeback win. Again, six years ago, far too long. I'm hoping that we can sort of get back on track and pick up three points on Sunday. So Alex, let's get into the lineup discussion. What are you expecting to see from Marco Silva when the lineups come out? So it's always a tricky question for you and I, right? Because it seems as though every week we have a discussion, what are we expecting? And for me, there's usually a difference between what I'm expecting and what I want. It always feels like there's there's a big question mark, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, sport in general is one of the only areas of life where you would presume, you know, the followers or fans or whatever presume to know more about the team than the management team in place. So fans obviously have what they'd like to see, but then rarely does that actually play out. I think, you know, there's not too much to mess around with as far as the lineup at this point. I think Silva has pretty much settled on his starting 11, give or take one or two positions. So I would say, you know, obviously the back four, I think is pretty settled. I don't know. What are you expecting to see? We saw he tried to start a 5-2-3 formation against City, and that was horrendous. You could tell that the three center backs were not ready and not gelling. I thought Mina had a pretty poor game in the back three. So I'm going to go for a back four again. And he did adjust during the city match back to a back four. The interesting part was that he moved Kurt Zuma to right back at that point and took Seamus Coleman out. And so although I mentioned Mina having a poor match and Coleman being replaced, I still think, and I'm going to go with a back four, Coleman, Keen, Yeri Mina, and Luca Dean. Very fair prediction. Just keeping it steady. I'm personally hoping to see Kurt Zuma come in for Mina. Not even as a punishment, because although he did play poor against City, it was in a new system against the best team in the league. Hard to really punish him or fault him for that. But I I just thought Kurt Zuma was so outstanding that he deserves a place. In, you know, he played parts of the game at right back and still looked very good. And so I think what's nice about this season is that some of the lineup decisions that are being made are due to players who are playing really well that you can't afford not to start them versus a player who's been very poor and has to be dropped. Although you can make that case for some players. Long story short, I'm saying that Kurt Zuma comes in for Mina and we can get that partnership of Michael Keane and Kurt Zuma back because they were basically faultless for the time that they played together leading up to, of course, the Chelsea game. And then we've been having Yeri Mina, who has been good, but I, I just think Kurt Zuma probably is a better player overall than Yeri Mina at this point, despite the fact he's on loan. I'd like to see him play. Yeah, and I I understand a lot of those points for sure. Specifically when you said every time Zuma's played, he's been pretty much faultless. He he may be responsible for one goal or something like that across all of the fixtures that he's competed in, but really he was only dropped in the first place because we played Chelsea and seeing as how he's their player, he couldn't participate. Now, let's move on to the midfield. For listeners, if you haven't already heard my 8 or 9 minute controversial take on Ghana, Go check that out. But obviously, as a precursor, my midfield is going to be Ghana, Gomez, and Sigurdsson. That's because so far this season, it is our strongest trio by far. Ghana was not healthy for City. Obviously, this goes with the caveat that he is healthy and he's fit again. Gomez, fantastic player. Everyone loves him. I'd like to see Davies get some time, but he'll get some time very, very soon. And then Sigurdsson, he's the game changer for us. He's got to start. What do you think, James? I think that's spot on. We have to play Ghana if he's fit. I'm assuming he will be fit because 
by all accounts, the injury that kept him out versus City was relatively minor. He just wasn't good enough to go, but it wasn't anything that would affect him in the long term. Gomez picks himself. Lock in the lineup. There's no way you can drop him for anything other than an injury. And I agree, Gilfie Sigerson will probably play. He hasn't had the greatest couple games, but it's it's funny how quick people are to forget that he was on an unbelievable run of form not that long ago. And so I'm really hoping to see him sort of, you know, recoup some of that form and maybe get a goal against his former club. Who knows? That would be fantastic. I love it when Gilfie scores a goal. I love it even more if he scores a goal against Tottenham Hotspur. So that would be cool. And if I'm not mistaken, six goals in the league. And so although you're looking at a dip in form, he's well on his way to getting double digit goals in the league this season, which is what you're, you know, you're looking for. Some fans are pretty quick to scapegoat. And that that's partially because he just holds himself and performs to such a high standard. But moving on to the forwards. So I'm switching it up a little bit this, this week, James, I'm still kind of keeping with my general sentiment that I like to see Dominic Calvert-Lewin start. I want him on the pitch for his size, his strength. He's got good speed, hold up play. And he looked confident when he was playing versus City. And then I'd like to see Richarlison on the left and Lookman on the right. Based on the City performance, despite having not much service, I think Calvert-Lewin does deserve to start because we know that Richarlison isn't ideal as a striker. That much is clear. He does do some things well that Calvert-Lewin does not. But I do expect that you know with the amount of crosses that we're playing into the box and just having nothing to show for it effectively. It would be nice to have that kind of player who can get up in the air really strong. That's probably the strongest part of his game because we know he's not one to do any kind of tricks or or really create space for himself, but he can get up, rise above players and put a good header in the back of the net when he needs to. So I think Calvert-Lewin up top at striker. And then I think Richarlison on the left over Bernard. Bernard just hasn't really found a groove yet. He hasn't played particularly bad over the course of the last few weeks. But he really hasn't. We haven't seen the spark that we saw against, I think it was Leicester earlier on, where he like was tearing people apart and defenders didn't know what how to deal with them, what to do with them. Um, so I think Richarlison on the left in his best position, looking to get balls into the box to Calvert Lewin, and then I do think Adamola Lookman at this point, like you said, needs to stick with him. The three chances he created against City were amazing. He was playing on the left in that game, but still play him on the right over Theo Walcott, who. Just I'm kind of just done talking about it because we talked about him so much. Just the end product's just not there at this point. And I think a spell on the bench will do him well. I think if he comes on as a substitute, that may be a role that he can thrive in. And I think Lookman deserves the opportunity, though he did have the one against Newcastle. Another opportunity to start against the top side and really show what he can do. Let him loose. That's my opinion. And then so we could talk about how this lineup that we predicted is going to match up with Tottenham, who played midweek against Arsenal 1-2-0. I'm sure most have seen the highlights by now. Deli Ali had an absolutely gorgeous finish. Beautiful through ball by Harry Kane, and then just a nice little floated clip over the keeper. Perfectly placed, perfectly timed. He's he's quite the player. He's remarkable. I hate to admit it, but you're right. I can't stand the guy, but you're right. So they are pretty short in terms of their defensive unit. Vertonghen and Dyer are both out 100%. So they played actually... Ben Davies and Alderweireld at center back yesterday. Now, Ben Davies is a left back. Their fullbacks they went with was Kieran Trippier, really, really good player. And then Danny Rose, who we were linked with last summer. Some fans thought that we were going to sign him. 
I am very, very happy that we signed Luca Dean instead. But getting back on topic, James, let's talk about their attackers. So on Wednesday, they started Sun up top, Lucas Mora and Erickson out wide, and then Deli Ali in the middle. And they looked ridiculously good. That's that's a terrifying front f- front three, front four. Um, Hyung Sun Min is a very good player. I actually managed to catch. I didn't catch the Arsenal match in full. I caught the highlights, but I did catch the Burnley match last weekend. The fluidity with which they their front attacking players play. Like, you know, Lucas Mora would play out on the left, but he'd be popping up on the right. And it's something that we've tried to utilize in our attack or we were trying to utilize, I would say over the last few games, we've seen less of that. And I think it's maybe to blame for some of our offensive deficiencies. I think when when you have players floating over the pitch, looking to exploit certain matchups at certain times, it creates a much more difficult proposition for the defense because they don't know who's going to be coming at them at any given moment. Oh, am I going to have Lookman trying to, you know, wiggle by me with a, with a step over flick? Or am I going to have Richarlison who's going to try to receive and maybe just try to beat me with raw pace? So, you know, that talk that's going back to our team, but I, I am very scared of the attacking front four of, of Tottenham. Lucas Mora pace for days. Uh, <laughs> I have him in my FIFA Ultimate team, so you know, I know how fast he is for a fact. Boo. Um, <laughs> hey, okay. They've got some really dangerous players, and Christian Eriksen is their kind of version of Andre Gomez in the sense that he's the player that makes it all tick for them. And since he's been back and healthy, they've really looked a problem for a lot of teams. He's a he's a special player as well. He's extremely special. He's actually been linked with Real Madrid, believe it or not, recently. So we've talked about the four attacking players that started on Wednesday, yesterday. But who we haven't mentioned are the two that didn't start, Harry Kane and Lamella. They're also both, obviously, Harry Kane. If you don't know who Harry Kane is, well, I don't know what to tell you unless this is your first season watching the league. Lamella, I don't rate him that highly, but he's still a threat, especially off the bench. I think we'll definitely see Harry Kane start. And so the way that Spurs look to play, the whole possession, there's there's no way Everton has the majority possession in this match. So they're going to hold possession. And what they're going to do is they're essentially going to figure out how to break us down. A lot of times Harry Kane will almost play as like a false nine. He'll drop deep and he looks to play in his wingers, which is how their wide players contribute so many goals and assists. It also helps that they're ridiculously pacey and, and their finishing is on point. And so when you're talking about tactics, right, it's all going to come down to, in my opinion, Everton's back line versus Tottenham's wingers. Now, usually I would say, obviously, fullbacks versus Tottenham's wingers. But the issue is, as you said, James, right, they play very fluid. A lot of times you'll see one of them making a diagonal run and they'll end up center pitch in behind the defense. With how our defense looked so unorganized last week, that's going to be my tactical matchup because you can't say Seamus Coleman versus whoever is their left winger. They're going to have to be the top of their game. Your center backs are going to have to bring real strength to try to hold off Harry Kane, who's a really, really good passer. And we're going to have, we're, we're, we're going to need Pickford to come up with a couple of, of good saves as well. I'm also... A little concerned about Musa Sissoko for them in midfield because watching him against Burnley, he is an absolute unit. He is huge. He's very strong. And so I'm, I'm curious to see how that ends up playing out against Ghana Gay because while they both play like a defensive midfielder position, 
I think Suzuko probably offers more going forward, but he's also a lot bigger. And so does he neutralize sort of Ghana and is he able to match up with Sigurdsson and, and take him out of the game? Because if we don't have Sigurdsson going, then of course Gomez doesn't have anyone to play up to. And so we're going to have to look to go wide. And then I'm worried about Kieran Trippier is, is a really, really solid player who can play a ridiculous free kick. Of course, we saw he scored one in the World Cup, play some really good set pieces and, and so it's really they're they're strong all over the pitch and they and they haven't made any signings and they're still in sitting in third with a very settled squad and i think that that in itself the fact that the last two weeks manchester city and now tottenham two sides that are very settled and very familiar with each other and know how they want to play and i think that's really the most dangerous proposition of all whereas you know against chelsea there's a team that's under a new manager trying to figure out what they want to do. This team has a clear direction in a way they, they're going to play. And I'm sure that Pochettino is, has been scouting us extensively and, and knows what they will have to do to break us down. Because man for man, they're, they're a better side talent-wise than us, I think. That's just indisputable. They've got probably the best striker in the league. But we are at home. Confidence may be a little short right now, but this is the type of game where if we can come out strong, and your point about possession was interesting because I do think that Tottenham may have slightly more possession than us, but I don't think they'll dominate it in the way that City did. I agree with that point, right. So they're going to have, you know, I would expect maybe 55-45 split, something like like that. And kind of to backtrack on your point about the midfield, right, and how we're going to need Sigurdsson to create those chances for us, the thought that came to my mind immediately, James, was that neither one of us had Bernard in our starting lineup. A lot of people have been asking maybe sit Gilfie and start Bernard at the 10 because he likes to play at the 10. We saw Bernard sub in at the 10 a couple of weeks ago. And so that's another option for us. If we can't go for a little bit of strength and vision in Gilfie Sigurdsson, then we can go with blistering pace in Bernard. Sub them on, and we we can look to kind of exploit spaces when they're tired or they're trying to stretch the pitch. And to wrap that thought up, as you always tell me, James, the most important part is going to be scoring first. Yeah, I mean, if we can get a get a goal, get the crowd in it at Goodison, get everything rocking, they're not going to quit. They won't relent, and we're going to have to stand strong. But I do think, you know, if we can get that first goal, because so many times we, we shoot ourselves in the foot and go behind and then we're playing. There's been so many games this season. And and one thing that we have done well as a unit this season, and it's a testament to Marco Silva's coaching, his man management, has been that when we concede, our heads don't go down. And many times we've been able to fight back from that one goal deficit. Whereas under previous regimes, it was, I don't know how you feel about this, but, but personally, like you, you're let down so many times. It's like once we give up a goal, you just don't expect us to be able to come up with anything to break the team down. And it's just like, oh, well, we conceded, it's over. And I, that does that mentality doesn't exist, I think, within for the players and definitely not as a fan at this point. I really think if we do concede, we can fight back. But but again, it just is such an advantageous position to be up if we can be up at halftime. Even if it's nil-nil at halftime, I just think we, we can't afford to go into halftime down a goal. Agreed. And so far this season... I personally believe that we've been more of a second half team than we have a first half team. There are a couple exceptions, but in general, we really have put it all together in the second half. Marco Silva really knows how to spur the team on in that sense. At the end of the day, <laughs> that was good, dude. I, I had no idea. I had that no was idea. perfect. All right. Well, <laughs> that's organic. There you go. 
So either way, at the end of the day, we say this literally every three days, but I'm going to say it again. We're going to need production from someone other than Richarlison and Gilfie Sigurdsson because you also got to think from a mental standpoint, how much of a burden does that place on those two players to produce on the stat sheet every week? I mean, they're professionals and they're attacking players. That's what they want. But when you're sitting there on the pitch thinking, if I don't do it, nobody else is going to do it, then I think it allows you as a human being to overthink certain situations. Do you agree with that? Those two players are very confident, I think, in their ability to score goals. And I'm not sure that anyone else really in the side has that same belief in themselves. Of course, as a professional player, you're going to have confidence. You know you're good enough. But it's like they're, we don't even have players that are really looking to take shots. We're li- we have players that are looking to get the ball wide, get crosses in. Gomez has had a couple shots. He's taken some chances but hasn't really, I mean, he's got a shot on him, but hasn't really, you know, tested, made any real tests of any goalkeepers. I think he has a few goals in him. Lookman is one that I think if he does get the start, he's going to be very hungry. And we've seen that he is very willing to play balls in the box and he's always looking to create for others as well as himself. So I think it's not unrealistic to think that Adam Lookman could be one to find himself on the score sheet on Sunday. And that would cement himself as a starter and really build on this the really good substitute performances he's having. Hopefully he can claim a regular place in the starting 11. I would kill for Lookman to score. I'd kill for Calvert-Lewin to score once again. And, you know, one of the things that I noticed immediately in the last match was, do you remember the chance Calvert-Lewin got where he was slightly called off shot offside, but he was running towards the left of goal and tried to shoot low and across the keeper. It was saved, but yeah. he was called offside. My first thought there was he took it in stride and just shot. And a lot of times, a lot of the fans last season were complaining that he didn't look like he had the killer instinct in front of goal, whereas against City, he looked like he was ready anytime he got the ball at his feet. And so I feel pretty optimistic about him as well. If we could score two goals with Calvert-Lewin and Lookman being the two, that would be awesome. And now that I think about it, James, that would put our front three at 21 years old. Yeah, we've got one of the youngest squads in the Premier League, and the fact that we're performing as well as we are so far is very good, and, and that just shows that there's really nowhere to go but up. As we continue to make signings and as the good players that we have continue to develop and improve, you know, Harry Kane didn't become Harry Kane overnight. There was a long period where people wondered, would he ever become anything? And then he sort of hits the ground running and has that massive season, wins the golden boot and all that. You know, Calvert-Lewin, not saying he's a Harry Kane type player, but it doesn't exactly always happen with the flick of a switch. We've seen glimpses of him being a really quality finisher, at least with his head. He did score that really nice goal in the League Cup. And so he does have goals in him. He's certainly not the most prolific finisher, but he has all the physical attributes needed to be a top striker in the Premier League. He does. And my dreams are based upon Calvert-Lewin in the next, let's say, two years becoming solid enough in which we may not have to be looking at the market at all for that type of player. So to wrap things up, James, what is going to be your scoreline prediction for Sunday? Well, it's it's rough because it's a tough run of form, winless in five now, I think. And so I would be really happy. This is kind of the end. After this match, we've got some very favorable fixtures coming up. They come in quick succession because it's the holiday period, but 
the matchups are much more favorable. This is the end of the kind of nightmare run that we've had. And so I think if we get out of this with a point, like you said at the beginning, we haven't beat Tottenham since 2012. And so if we can get a point, I'd be very pleased with that. And it gives us at least a platform to continue to, you know, get points from matches as we go forward. So I'm going to say 1-1 final score. That's a pretty optimistic scoreline you got there, James. Yeah, I'm feeling a little optimistic today. I don't know. What about you? What What are you thinking? Are you feeling less less confident? I think so. Usually I joke on you for being the negative Nancy. I can always count on you to play play that part. But today, I'm going to have to say 2-1 to the Tottenham Hotspurs. Wow. Hotspurs. I think that's the first loss you've predicted. It might be. And, you know, leading up to recording, watching quite a few Spurs highlight videos, it's kind of demoralizing, you know? But I think at the end of the day, they're in such good form right now. We're low on confidence, as you said. And so I don't know that I can optimistically count on a draw or win. But I would happily take a one-all draw, as you've predicted. This is just one last thing. They're the only team in the Premier League that has yet to draw a match. So, you know, my prediction would be kind of groundbreaking in that it'd be their first draw of the season. But they are in great form, so... I just hope, again, that we continue to to show that we can compete with them. Again, even if the results don't come, I'm hoping we can show that that we deserve to be up competing amongst those types of teams when the league ends uh, in several months. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in, always supporting us. And look for our Tottenham versus Everton post-match episode a couple hours after the match on Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.